Good evening. I hope everybody's doing well tonight. Let's all stand and sing in the tributes of praise for the glorious gift of his love and the blessings that hallow our days in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the seated. We'll continue by singing Nothing But the Blood. Speak to our hearts and our souls in a very special way during the service. Help us to uh, lift you up throughout it. May we um, bring honor and glory to your name as we continue to sing songs and as we continue to worship you through uh, not only the song and the singing part, but, uh, Lord, the message and the word as it's shared. And, and I just pray that, uh, by you being honored that uh, we'll be touched in a very special way by you as only you can in Jesus name amen we'll continue with the longer I serve him Man. 
Okay, it's good to see you here this evening, and for those that are with us watching, it's good to have you. Thank you for the music, and now let's move to Daniel chapter 5, and let's have fun with some names, okay? Good luck. <laughs> Before we get into the names, uh, you know, my family and I, we never took many vacations, so Debbie and I took off when I went to, uh, to defend thesis up in um, Connecticut, and so as we were traveling up there, we uh, took off a few days and a quick trip through Washington and 
Virginia and other places like that. We went to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Williamsburg. It was very, I, I love that uh, place. And then uh, also Jamestown uh, there. And, you know, you got to see so, so much of the uh, history. We went over and uh, saw some of the uh, Civil War fightings, uh, uh, important places and, and all of that. And you, you look at that and you look in Washington at all the uh, neat things like the Constitution, Bill of Rights, the uh, Declaration of Independence. And, uh, you know, you have to think about these men that founded our country. And, man, they were men of courage, you know. They, they were uh, uh, men of high resolve, as, as some have put it. And, and they were. And uh, it's amazing how you think back that far back and how much wisdom and, and knowledge they had in putting all this together and what it took. But saying that, we've seen a, a nation rise to become great in many, eye, uh, in many eyes around the world. Uh, America has, you know... Uh, You've seen the theme, Make America Great, and then Make America Great Again, and all this kind of stuff. Well, uh, a lot of people are wanting to come to this country because they think it's a wonderful country, and it's a country of opportunity. But, uh, you know, um, nations not only rise, but nations fall. And in Daniel chapter 5, we see the downfall of a great kingdom. A kingdom that thought itself to be eternal. A kingdom that, uh, uh, you know, was weighed in the balance by God and was found wanting. And this is a warning to all nations. And it's a warning to all of us personally. In that Daniel chapter 5, we see the end of the most glorious empire the great Babylonian empire. But God had given a vision to the king, didn't he? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And when he did, he told him that, hey, as great as it's, it is, the head, the gold, it was going to crumble, wouldn't it? It would fall. It would be overtaken by other nations. And it was. Uh, at the uh, chapter's close of, of chapter 4, we see the transition from Babylon being the head, the gold on the uh, image in chapter 2 where it was given in, from the dream to Medo-Persian Empire. They took over. We're going to see that in chapter 5. And uh, this was the uh, uh, part of the, uh, the, the statue that was represented by the, the arms and the breast. And so as we begin our study, we... Uh, we need to be reminded uh, in ver uh, verse uh, 30 or 20, excuse me, of Ezekiel chapter 18. And it's so important in relating to this chapter because it says, The soul that sins, it shall die. And, you, you know, we, we saw chapter 4 and we saw Nebuchadnezzar and we said, Hey man, there, there looks like a conversion there a change but he is no longer king in chapter 5 there's been some time that has passed so chapter 5 is a vivid commentary on the fact that sin brings death it's amazing how we can see it in families we can see it in nations we can see it in government how we can have one conservative person one godly person and their influence be there in schools, whatever it might be, presidents of the school, whatever, leading the, the school systems, and then all of a sudden there's a change. And the ones that come in maybe change it a little bit, and then it gradually changes and it becomes worse. And it happens so often. And this is a chapter that proves this. And so the Babylonian Empire was once the glorious head uh, of gold, the crown of the times of the Gentiles, if you remember that phrase. But it had gradually deteriorated. And so the Medo-Persian army 
put an end to this great historic era, the Babylonian era. This chapter gives insight on how something so magnificent, something that is wealthy and vast and powerful, like this nation, Babylon, Babylon, it can fall. And so the first scene in the chapter is of the feast filled with drinking. There is a different king on the throne. And in the midst of it, God pronounces doom, judgment on the whole empire. And you know what? After a few hours, it falls, doesn't it? After he gave this doom uh, pronouncement. And I believe all civilizations follow the same pattern here. And that is they rise to their heights. We get to the point where we seem invincible. We become filled with pride. Characterized by ourselves and self-indulgence. It takes over. Materialism becomes so, uh, you know, so prominent. And uh, we begin to descend and begin to fall and be destroyed, just like this nation. And so Psalm 9:17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. When a nation forgets God, its doom is certain. And it, we would all be wise to take heed to this. And so we're going to be looking at the account, and I'm going to give you some background, and please bear with me with these names, okay? I thought my children' names with Ben's family were hard to spell, not so much pronounced, but hard to spell, but they're not anything compared to this. And so they, uh, they, it's an encouragement to see their names compared to these. Well... Let's, let's look at Nebuchadnezzar's family tree here. Uh, first of all, let's put up his father. And his father was Nabopolosar. Now, we won't have time to spell it, but you can look it up later. And then under him, under, under him there he is, under him comes Nebuchadnezzar. Now, under Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to think of a line coming out and dropping down. And there's three drops, okay? Three drops. And so, first of all, over on the right-hand drop is evil Merodach. And that is the sun. Then in the middle, on the same line, there's Neriglazar. And he is the son-in-law. And then also on the left side of it is Nabonidus, and you'll hear more about him. So as we move through, uh, through it, there's also some grandsons, and they fit under the middle one and the one on the left, Nabonidus. And so uh, the one under uh, uh, Neriglasar is Labashi Marduk, Labashi Marduk. And then under Nabonidus is Belshazzar. Hallelujah. We, at least we've heard of his name before. You know. So there you have it. Now don't ask me to go through it again. But as we look at it, Belshazzar here, we're going to be focusing in on him. And he was a, you know, he wasn't like his, his grandfather. He... Um, he uh, uh, wasn't even like his father, who he was co-reigning with. He, his father, at least, was more of a peaceful man, and, and he didn't even uh, live in the, uh, uh, the area that, that uh, his son was ruling. He, he moved out of the country there into Arabia. And so uh, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, going back to him, he's, uh, 70 years have passed since Daniel and his friends were taken captive in chapter 1. Seventy years. So what does that put Daniel? He's in his 80s, right? And uh, 23 years have taken place since the great humiliation 
of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that happened just recently, wasn't it, in the chapter before. What happened to him? Well, you know, he, uh, he wouldn't humble himself before God. Well, God humbled him uh, for, I mean, uh, took the initiative and humbled him. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C. And after Nebuchadnezzar died, the empire began to decline. You know, it's kind of like Solomon. When yeah, I know the, the empire uh, split, divided, but this one began to decline after, after Nebuchadnezzar. And he was followed by his son, uh, whose name was Evil Merodach. And the Bible mentions him under uh, Evil Merodach in 2 uh, Kings chapter 25 and Jeremiah 52. Now he is known for releasing uh, Jehoiachin from uh, prison and he gave him a place of privilege in the Babylonian uh, court. And he only reigned for two years before he was assassinated by his brother-in-law. So you can see how it's getting worse, yeah. But it gets worse. Now, Riglasar, uh, this man is mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 39, verses 3 and 13, and uh, under a different name, Nagal, Nagal uh, uh, Sherazar. And he was, an offici uh, he was um, officially under Nebuchadnezzar, who apparently was involved in helping release Jeremiah from prison. So there were some good things that happened there. And he reigned for four years, died, and he was succeeded by his son. And that was Labashi Marduk. And he only lasted nine months. I mean, he didn't last any time. As a child regent, though. And uh, he was beaten to death by conspirators. And then appointed, uh, you know, as king... Nabonidus, and he reigned 17 years until he was finally defeated by who? Cyrus. Uh, and so the Medo-Persian emperor. And although he was appointed as monarch, he was really not related to Nebuchadnezzar, so uh, he didn't have a right to the throne. Apparently this intimidated him, so he sought to secure that claim uh, by uh, marrying either a widow or one of the daughters of Nebuchadnezzar. That way he could marry into the family. And the woman had uh, a son named Belshazzar. So there you are. Now, uh, maintaining, as I said, separate residencies, uh, uh, Nabonidus, he uh, went to uh, Tima in, in Arabia. And he didn't set foot in the city of Babylon for 14 of his 17-year reign. So he was out at, uh, at another place. And so in order to hold on to uh, the power in Babylon, he appointed Belshazzar as co-regent. And this is so important because some of the um, liberal commentators uh, didn't, uh, couldn't figure out how there could be three regents and all this. There, there was no mention of the third. Well, the third has come up since then uh, through archaeological study and, and uh, as the Bible said it would. And uh, the third is the one who he appointed. He said, whoever can answer this uh, dream and this riddle, well, then I will give as third ruler, you know. And that meant that he would share in this. And so uh, Nabonidus uh, was uh, probably the most ca uh, capable ruler following Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he was a deeply religious man, and he reinstated um, uh, temple worship of some sort. Not temple worship to the true God, but temple worship. So uh, the conquest by the Persians came when Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, uh, began attacking the Babylonian Empire, and this is when it happens in chapter 5. And uh, uh, they first attacked, it, uh, they attacked Nabonidus, the father of uh, uh, Belshazzar, uh, and his forces and defeated them. And so he's, he's captured during this time, but you've got to remember he's still recognized as king, though, one of the kings. So you've got three here, that's why I even say there's... We'll point the third one uh, as king. 
uh, whoever can do this or, or interpret this dream. So as Daniel 5 begins, are you confused now? Is it good? Uh, we'll move on. Nabonidus had been defeated and the Medes and Persians had been besieging the city of Babylon for a few months. I mean, they were trying to overtake it. And Belshazzar, uh, he shut up in Babylon. And Babylon was a great city. I mean, it was a, a fortified city. And uh, they, they thought that they were uh, invincible, you know. And, and so um, uh, the Medo-Persians were all around them. And, and the people were concerned to a degree. And, and as they were concerned, uh, you know, Belshazzar wanted to, I think, comfort them so much, uh, I mean, somewhat. And so one of the ways that he thought he could comfort them was throw a party. And... Um, it's hard to conceive that he would do such a thing, but he did. There was a lot of drinking, there was a lot of carousing, there was a lot of immorality. And uh, at, at the time this was going on, the city was being surrounded by the Medo-Persians. And, uh, you know, you, the city was almost 15 miles square, some say, and it had walls that were at least 80 feet thick. And 350 feet high with 100 massive bronze gates with them. And I, I wonder if they had uh, electronic gates. Yeah. But, but anyway, uh, the Babylonians had an abundance of water too because the, uh, uh, the Euphrates River flowed through the middle of the city. But that became a curse to them. So seated upon a raised platform, and you get this picture here in, in this room, Belshazzar began drinking uh, before the uh, thousand lords there that were uh, gathered for the huge feast. And it says that he tasted wine in verse 2. And it, it implies that he became drunk. And then he called for the gold and silver vessels. Now, what were they? They were the ones that were taken from the temple of God and brought there. But they had been stored by his grandfather, right? And so they had not uh, been used in a uh, uh, desecrated way. And so uh, not until at this time. But he brought them forth and began to drink from them and do, use them in, in, in ways that defamed them. And so apparently these vessels had uh, remained undisturbed until this time. And uh, the presence of women at such banquets was normally forbidden. And probably it indicates that moral restraints were relaxed during this time. And there was an orgy going on of some sort. So let's just read a little bit uh, before we go any further. It said, Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine, getting drunk in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, in order that the temple and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they were allowed there in there. So there must have been some wild party. And so then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine, praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In other words, it was also degrading in the sense and and humiliating in the sense uh, for uh, godly people because this, these were vessels of God and they were saying, hey, we're drinking from them because we've defeated their God, basically. And no one can defeat me. I'm great. And this city is great. So we're, you know, we're of comfort here. Uh, and so suddenly, though, there, he got uh, woke up from his stupor, drunk stupor, and it says, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the uh, plaster of the wall of the king's palace. So you've got to understand that the light, where would the lights normally, the brightest lights be? Around the king, wouldn't it? Because he's the one being honored. So where would the writing be? 
right there where the king was. And it got his attention. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and the knees began knocking together. Now, you know, I'm not involved in any of that, and wouldn't ever be, hopefully wouldn't ever be involved in any of that, but my knees do give way with me sometimes in my hips, but he, this was, you know, this wasn't an old guy here. And so uh, the king uh, called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple, have a necklace of gold around his neck, and have a authority as third ruler of the king so his father him and him that's where it gets it so we see that uh in the midst of uh you know his folly the pagan king decided to mock god and and uh so god says okay the enough is enough and god does that you know uh it's it's a shame that it takes that for many people to be uh, awakened to it. Not to respond positively to it, but to be awakened to it. And God will do this with any nation. Any nation that God has blessed, he, uh, you know, he can turn right around and get their attention uh, with their uh, immoral living and with their rejection of him and their idolatry. And, and uh, you know, it, he can awaken them to the fact that God is God even though they may not accept it. So Belshazzar and his guests were, uh, you know, praising their, their various deities here, using the utensils set apart uh, for the true God in, in the worship for false God or gods. And so you can imagine what, what a wicked picture this was. Uh, what all was going on, drunkenness everywhere, orgy with concubines and wives and idolatrous worship. So the Lord says, boom, here's a sign. It's blinking, the red light flashing. I want you to focus in on it. I want you to see what it is. And so uh, in the midst of this uh, partying, a supernatural hand appears from God and it's and uh, the hand says basically uh, that the wrath is full. The cup of wrath is full. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's the same way that uh, in Genesis 6-3, where the spirit shall not always strive with man. Judgment is coming. And so this is what he's saying here. God's patience had ended. God is a long-suffering God. I mean, he, he lets man, he lets us go on and on trying to get our attention. But there comes a time when enough is enough. And that's what he's saying here. And so all this singing and the, uh, the loudness and the roaring and the fun and the hoopla stopped. There was deathly silence. Matter of fact, fear fell upon all. I mean, wouldn't you? Be fearful, all of a sudden you see a hand appear and there it is, writing on the wall. And so the fingers begin to write near the lampstand in the, uh, the place where it was illuminating the wall. And of course the brightest spot there was near Belshazzar. And boy, I tell you what, when, when you, judgment is that close to you, uh, you, you better watch out. And so here's the response of Belshazzar. Verse 6, then the king's countenance was changed, his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints of his loins were loose and his knees, uh, you know, uh, uh, just smote one against one another. They trembled against one another. And, and so uh, all of a sudden the face uh, that was once red, flushed with, uh, uh, you know, having fun and, and excitement, turned pale, ashen white. And... Um, it's the same thing. He couldn't even stand up because his knees started to shake so much. Have you ever become or heard of somebody becoming so nervous that they faint? They're, they're up to speak and their knees just lock and they faint. 
I mean, he couldn't stand up. He was so fearful. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, it said, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. God shook this one Gentile nation to begin with. I want to sh share with you that in, at the end, before he comes again, all nations will be shook. All Gentile nations. So the king uh, cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the uh, Chaldeans, the soothsayers. He's, you know, they're still hanging around. Uh, the group's still there. And so they're still performing, kind of like the uh, uh, Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. Old guys are still performing. So these are still performing. Uh, but he was desperately in need. And so he, he, uh, those were the only ones he could think of probably at the time to call in. And so he called them in. No, no matter, uh, it didn't matter whether they had a good reputation or not beforehand, you know. He called them in. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon. And uh, as he did, uh, he, he said, uh, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple, have a necklace of gold around his neck, and have authority to be the third ruler. So what he's telling him, uh, that I'll offer you a promotion to be the third ruler. Now, uh, you know, this, all this represented royalty, all the robe, the gold, uh, chain of gold, and all this. Uh, it represented the, the, the position of royalty. And this is what the king was offering. And then in verse 8, he says, Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription to make known its interpretation to the king. The king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his face grew even paler. In other words, it probably had kind of calmed. He was pale still, but he'd calmed down, called in them, hoping to get some kind of answer. Then when they couldn't, it got paler. And so uh, he got more alarmed, and uh, they, the nobles were perplexed. And so the, you know, the wise men, in other words, couldn't read it. And, uh, and then in verse 9, Then was King uh, Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and the lords were perplexed. Apparently, as I said, <clears throat> he had gained somewhat of a calmness with his paleness, but then when nobody could explain it, it troubled him even more so. And, you know, it just shows us what human wisdom cannot do in spiritual things. In spiritual matters, human wisdom has no concept of what is going on. Unless God opens up our eyes to the truth and, and opens up direction and opens up guidance uh, to what he's trying to get across to us, man will never understand. I mean, Paul wrote about this. He said, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They just don't understand it. They can understand the facts about things, but they can't understand the true meaning of what God is saying. So God here is letting uh, Belshazzar know that he is the king and he is sovereign. And anyone with a humanistic perspective uh, can never comprehend the plan of God. And he's letting him know this. And he's saying, I am going to reveal it to you, but it's going to be my way, by my person. So the queen, he allows a queen to come in. And she enters into the confusion. But she brings some light to the situation. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house and the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is a spirit. Look at how she describes him. It sounds like someone else, doesn't it? Nebuchadnezzar. That's how he described it. In whom is the spirit of the holy. In other words, the spirit of God. 
And so as a widow of Nebuchadnezzar or uh, possibly a daughter, we don't know, she remembered and used the very phrase here that Nebuchadnezzar had used of Daniel. In whom is the spirit of the holy? He was uniquely remembered as holy. Set apart, different. Because the gods of Babylon, they weren't considered holy, were they? But he was considered holy. So the queen did two things. She convinced or she counseled the king to pull himself together. She says, get it together. In other words. And then two, well, in verse 10, the queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, oh, king, live forever. I mean, hey, what I'm going to say to you, you know, I want you to live forever. I'm on your side. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. In other words, uh, she was saying, get it together. Pull yourself together. And then the second thing. She informed the king of Daniel and advised him to call Daniel in. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Uh, Chaldeans and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of uh, sigmas and uh, solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. So here The queen is saying, call the man who helped the king before. He did it where nobody else could. And so uh, we see that Daniel was brought in before the king. Now, isn't it interesting that he didn't come in with the magicians? He didn't come in with the conjurers? In other words, he was up in age, but he was still standing with God alone. I mean, he was still uncompromisingly living according to the convictions that he had and by, you know, uh, living a separate kind of life. And so the king had never taken time to uh, consult the prophet before. But the king was desperate and ready to listen to anybody and especially anybody that had a reputation like him. And so he turned in desperation to the man that he had long ignored. Isn't that the case so often? When when people get saved, what do they do? I mean, they've tried everything else. Maybe they've they've gone to uh, psychiatrists, psychologists. They've gone to uh, other counseling of some sort. They've even gotten into drugs. They've tried this. They've tried that. And then finally, what do they do? They come to God, and they find out, which he didn't adhere to, but a lot of them are saved. They find out that God is the only one who has the answer and who can provide the uh, completeness and fulfillment that they need, the freedom that they have in Christ Jesus. It only comes in Jesus. So uh, he heard about Daniel, and, uh, you know, uh, Daniel had been, you know, off in another place, forgotten about, uh, continuing on with his life, faithfully serving the Lord, and he's called in. And when he's called in, if you'll look in verses 15 and 16, the king tries to impress him. It says, uh, just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in, uh, in before me that they might read this inscription make its interpretation known to me but they could not dis- declare the interpretation of the message but I personally have heard about you that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me you will be clothed with purple and a gold necklace around you uh, will be placed 
And uh, with that, you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, he wasn't impressed with all of that. I mean, by the attention that was given to him, it didn't mean anything to him. He wasn't interested in being the third ruler. Uh, he wasn't interested because he didn't care about, you know, all the hoopla that went with it. He, that didn't impress him in the least. But he also, you know, uh, he knew that the time was limited for them by reading the inscription. But Daniel wasn't intimidated by any of these monarchs. And he, <coughs> he wasn't about to be intimidated uh, in his old age by it. So uh, here we see uh, Daniel answered and said unto the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. In other words, you can keep your gifts. They mean nothing to me. That's the kind of character we need in godly people, in Christian people, in people who are part of the church. There is a tremendous need for men of courage like him. And we need to have it. So many people are striving to make a name for themselves and even, unfortunately, among Christians, isn't it? And they're striving to be rich, uh, powerful, famous, in an effort to elevate themselves and to acquire things. And we're, Christians are no different than non-Christians in the sense that we're tempted by these things. The only difference is we have the Spirit of God to help us to realize and understand that these things are not eternal. And these are not the things that we should be uh, trying to seek to, uh, to bring or uh, to allow to bring honor to ourselves. We should be bringing honor to God. And if those things fall upon us along the way, we, you know, okay, thank, thank God for it. And, and be blessed by them and, and thank the Lord for it and use them for his kingdom's sake. But, but don't let that be your motive for doing things. And so he was a person that was holy as a person, uh, as they described him. He had no, uh, you know, no interest in, in uh, gifts or rewards that were earthly. His were heavenly. So Daniel promised to read a writing on the wall, but like all good preachers, he wanted to give a good introduction first, didn't he? And so that's what he did. And he said, Yet will I read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation, O thy king. The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor for the majesty that he gave him. All people, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, uh, he, whom he would he slew, and whom he would be kept alive, and whom he would be set up, and whom he would be put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly, kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was like the wild asses, the donkeys, and they fed him. Uh, with grass like oxen, and his uh, body was wet with dew of heaven till they knew that he, the Most High God, ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed it over whomsoever he will. Nebuchadnezzar, he was telling him, needed to learn who really ran things. And he was telling Belshazzar, he's saying, you need to learn the same lesson. And so... The king struck him dead because he was prideful. Or not struck him dead, but, but struck him down because he was prideful and humbled him. And after seven years of humiliation, he learned that God was the Most High who rules over the kingdoms of men and gives those whom he chooses to be in ruler or, or, or in rulership and those not to be in rulership so he was the one who was in charge and so he says this now I want you to understand that that's my introduction because there is here's the main point this is the theme of it the indictment is coming to you Belshazzar and so yet you his son Belshazzar have not 
humbled your heart, though thou, uh, thou knew all this. In other words, you had heard the stories, but you just deliberately overlooked them. You didn't put any effort into finding out anything more about it. You can't blame it on anything else. You can't blame it on your environment. You can't blame it on your parents. You can't blame it on anybody else. It was there before you. God was allowing you to see what had happened with, through these stories, and you could have sought it out, and God would enlighten you more. He gives more light to those who seek it. And so he said, but you, though, you blaspheme God. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and, and they have brought the, the vessels of his house before you, and, and, and uh, you and your lords and the, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. Belshazzar had not uh, only sinned against the light that was there, but he rejected God. He just outright rejected God. And he had uh, willfully uh, pr uh, committed blasphemy. By uh, desecrating the holy vessels from the temple of Jerusalem. And he committed adultery. Thou hast praised the gods of silver, of gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which uh, see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. In other words, you sinned against the knowledge that was before you. You blasphemed. You committed adultery. He knew the truth, but he turned from it. He blasphemed the God of the truth. He worshiped false gods. Daniel was telling Belshazzar, when God saw your sin against the light that was shed to you, that you continued to commit this sin, now he has sent the fingers to write on the wall, the hand to write on the wall, what is coming before you, judgment. So God expects man to respond to the light that he gives. And when man refuses, judgment is coming. And so there's no other alternative. And so he puts up this interpretation and here is some words again. It says, Mani, Mani, Tekthel, Upharsin. And I hope that's correct. Lord, don't bring judgment on me through <laughs> And so, Mani uh, means numbered, and your number is up, in other words. And then, Tekthel, uh, or uh, some people say, Tukal, uh, thou art weighted in the balances. In other words, uh, it has a double meaning, to be weighed or to be found too light, like with uh, weights, you know. Uh, here is uh, the product, and do you have enough weight there for it? And, and he says, you're, you're coming up too light. And so then the uh, Perez or the uh, Oops Farson uh, the kingdom is divided, and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. And so the literal message then is numbered, numbered to light, divided. And Belshazzar's kingdom was going to be destroyed by the Persians. It would be divided. And so the prophecy had been written over the head of the king where he could see it. And it said, in fact... Turn out the light, the party's over. And so uh, this was it. The very night of Belshazzar's feast, the Medes and the Persians were outside the city, you remember? And what happened? They had built a dam on the Euphrates, diverted the water, came in, and took over the city. Babylon fell in 539 B.C. And guess what? Someday, the Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18, the final world system of the Antichrist is going to fall, but it's going to fall in a far greater holocaust than anyone could imagine, and far worse than this. So just quickly, 
Let me just mention these. I'm not going to go into detail. Drunkenness. In other words, the leaders thought themselves to be impregnable. In other words, they thought themselves to be above the enemy, above everything else. And they were basically considering themselves as gods. Pleasure, madness, having this party, the whole country, the whole uh, empire was drowning in it. Now, I want you to think about this and, and think about other countries, even this country. Like, for instance, America and its condition and its preoccupation. What is its preoccupation on? Is it preoccupation on church? I don't think so. Now, I don't mind going to a good ball game when we don't have the virus. How many people do we have in that stadium? Over 90,000? How many people do you think we have in church on Sunday? All the churches in this city. Where, where is our preoccupation? Movies? People rather stay home and watch a good movie than watch a mm, preacher and music, hear music. What about going out to eat or doing something else? I mean, preoccupation in a lot of other things other than God. Immorality? Wow. How much sexual perversion is going on here in America? Around the world, really. Idolatry? How many things are we worshiping and other religions are worshiping than the true God? Blasphemy. It's not enough just to re reject God, but they mocked him as well. I want to tell you, TV, comedies, people that mock God, judgment will fall. Politicians that do it, judgment will fall. Willful rejection. No nation you know, that we know of in history uh, has had greater opportunity than America, really. But where are most of the people being saved? Where third world countries where there's a, le a lot less opportunity. Willful rejection, unrelieved guilt, Greed and impure motives, and then materialism. Oh, man. And finally, we see that there is also confidence in human security, which leads to corrupt leadership, a decline of the family, and a nation that becomes prideful. principle we see is so graphic in chapter 5. Whether it's a sin of a man, woman, or a nation, doom is inevitable if things continue to grow worse. So what do we need to do? We need to, as Christians, as never before, believe in prayer. But let's take it a step further. We need to practice prayer. And when we pray, we need to go as Christians who are humble and not prideful before our Lord, whom we can't maneuver and manipulate into our way of thinking, but we go accepting him in his way of thinking. And we go in faith. 
Believing that he's sovereign, that he can do anything. But you can't do that as a church or as individuals unless you first are living it and experiencing it as a believer. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I pray that our hearts will become more burdened for those that are lost and without Jesus Christ. A nation that needs your guidance and uh, needs to understand that that um, uh, their government is not in control. You're in control. And you can humble, whether it's this government, whether it's governments uh, overseas, whether it's governments above us and below us, whatever it might be, that you're the one who controls. And may we see this and acknowledge this. It doesn't have to be like Belshazzar. It can, it can be like Nebuchadnezzar, who is humble, who was humbled and, and realized that. So I just pray that, Lord, you'll just work in our lives, that we'll pray for individuals, that they might be humbled, come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior before it's too late, before judgment comes. And as nations, that we'll be humbled as nations, realizing that, that you're the one uh, in control. And, and whatever it might take, that you might humble us. So help us, Lord, understand that, and we just pray that you'll be glorified through it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. God's dealing with your heart and your soul. Won't you come? sung that before pretty recently but I I tell you what that that has a beautiful message doesn't it? I remember that in so many of the revivals and different meetings like that that's just great coming home it's wandered away now it's time to come home praise God let's go any announcements anything uh, uh, we do need to if you can stay over for just a little while to help get yes. these boxes into a vehicle a mode of transport something um, and uh, we'll go from there. And then what is? Oh, and then the Lottie Moon. Um, <laughs> the Lottie Moon envelopes are in the back if you need those as well. Okay. Okay, that's it. And then Thanksgiving uh, in a week, right? That is correct. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. Let's go away rejoicing in the Lord. I know you've got a song for us, brother. Oh, hell, can 